morning, everyone. Thank you so much to Mark and Ruth and Richard and Vic and Christina for just what they've shared with us this morning. It's been so helpful, so encouraging. Uh, if you have a Bible, would you like to turn to Second Peter chapter 1? The words will be on the screen, uh, and as we often do, let's stand together for the public reading of God's Word. Let's stand. So this is Second Peter chapter 1. I'm just going to read from verses 3 to 9. These should be familiar words to, to many people who have been coming here recently. His divine power has given us everything we need for godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us this very great and precious promise so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is short-sighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Grab a seat. Do you ever feel like uh, quitting? Do you ever feel like just packing it in? Say, for example, your job, going to the gym, cooking for the family, supporting Man United. If you haven't thought about that before, can I suggest you do? Before this afternoon, anyway. Uh, I reckon there, there is quite a few things that, that many of us consider giving up on, on a pretty regular basis. But what about this? What about church? What about just packing it in? Doing church, going to church, being church. Did you ever think of quitting that? Lots of people do. Lots of people have. I uh, was reading some more statistics recently, article in the Church Times in Scotland, June this year, confirmed that it's something that now 13,000 people are leaving churches of all denominations every year in Scotland. Quitting. But what about faith itself? What about following Jesus? Does it ever cross your mind to quit that? Again, it happens. And the thing is, it has happened from the very beginning. I was reading John 6. And I was struck by this, this moment where it comes and it says, from this time, many of his, that's many of Jesus' disciples, turned back and no longer followed him, that they quit. It's been happening from the very beginning. And then Jesus turned around and he looked at his original 12 disciples and he asked them this question. He says, are you going to leave me as well? Are you going to leave me as well? You see, people have been tempted to and decided to quit following Jesus from the word go. And the reasons are varied. And I wonder if you can identify with any of these. You've just had enough. You've just honestly had enough. You can't do it anymore. It's too tough. It's too demanding, which is part of what was going on in John 6. And I will come back to that. 
Or maybe you're here this morning and you are discouraged. I mean, this has been such an encouraging service this morning, but you came here this morning discouraged. Or you're disillusioned or you're struggling with doubt or just simple complacency. There's been no major decision, but you just find yourself drifting. There could be any number of reasons or just one, but it does happen. And so this morning, as we get back into Second Peter, and as we pick up from where we left off, pre-summer, pre-Samson, I want us to think about, and I want us to look at the fourth thing that Peter says, you have got to make every effort to add to your faith this thing. And it's the one thing out of the seven, it's the one thing that is going to stop us or save us from quitting, from packing it in, from walking away. The fourth add-on that we're going to look at this morning is perseverance. But before we, we get into this or really get into it, let me quickly, because it has been two months, let, let me just remind us what was said to date. So all of us who are Christians, and, and I recognize that's probably the vast majority of here this morning, all of us who are Christians have got everything we need to live this life. Everything we need. Right at the start of Peter's second letter, he explicitly says that. I just read it a moment ago. It says this. His, that's God's divine power, has granted to us all things pertaining to life and godliness. Or in the translation I read, the NIV, his, God's divine power, has given us everything we need for a godly life. We have all we need. There isn't a person here this morning who can say, do you know something? I don't have what it takes to keep going. You do. But then Peter goes on to write that in light of this reality, in light of this fact, in light of this truth, you and I are then required to make every effort to add seven things to our faith. Here's the seven things. They're listed there in verses five to seven. Goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, mutual affection, love. Now, what I've been trying to do every time I've looked at this, what I've attempted to do is stress that these are add-ons to our faith. So in other words, faith must be in place first. And faith is, if you look up at verse one, faith is a God-given gift. We are Christians here this morning and we only can be Christians because of what God has done. It's nothing to do with what we do. We are only Christians and can only be Christians because of what God has done. We can't do anything to gain or earn our faith. And so what I'm going to be talking about this morning, what I've been talking about in this series is, I'm not saying you need to add these seven things, these seven virtues, in order to become a Christian, in order to obtain faith. No, faith is already in place in the lives of those Peter is writing to and in many of your lives. We are saved by grace through faith. This is not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, to quote another New Testament writer. But Peter then says, right, faith is already in place. That's a God-given gift. Here's your part. You now must make every effort to add seven things. Yes, you're a Christian, but you see, if you're going to grow in the Christian life, if you're going to grow in godliness, you've got to do something. You've got everything you need for this, but some assemblies required. You've got to get involved. You've got to make every effort. You've got to roll your sleeves up. You've got to get stuck in. And so, so far, we have looked at the first three things. We've looked at goodness. We've looked at knowledge. We've looked at self-control. So what is goodness? Let me just quickly remind you. Goodness is about being good like God. 
Goodness is about being good like God. It's about pursuing a godly and God-like character. But it's also not just about being good like God. It's about doing good. And we suggested three ways to make every effort to add this to your faith so you become a better worshiper. You increasingly declare the goodness of God and you find that that goodness that you're declaring rubs off as you worship with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, as you worship in spirit and in truth. That goodness that you're declaring, it rubs off. You follow the Spirit. You keep in step with the Spirit who one of His things is He produces fruit in our lives and one of the segments of the fruit of the Spirit is goodness. We've got to keep in step with the Spirit. Thirdly, you find a model. You identify someone who is good and you follow their example. Then we talked about adding knowledge. Now, knowledge is not about what you know. It's about who you know. It's not about what you know. It's about who you know. It's about knowing God better and better. And we suggested four reasons to make every effort to add that knowledge. So you read Scripture to learn more and more about God. We worship and we pray. We declare who God is. We develop our relationship with Him. We look around at creation, which regularly declares who God is. And then we embrace community because it's in this place, as Christina has said this morning, that we can learn more about God from one another. And then on the 1st of July, the last time we looked at this, we thought about self-control, which isn't just about holding back and saying no to certain things, although it is that. It's about how you think, which then impacts how you live. You see, self-control is a mindset. It's about being aware of what's really going on and then having the wisdom to act in light of it. And so if you're going to be holy, says Peter, and he writes about this in his first, if you're going to be holy, you need self-control. If you're going to resist the devil who's out to eat you alive, you're going to need self-control. If you're going to pray on any kind of regular basis, says Peter, you're going to need self-control. So the question I have for you this morning, start a new church here, is this, how are you getting on? How are you getting on at making every effort to add goodness to your faith, knowledge to your faith, and self-control? How's it going this summer? But then we come to the fourth add-on, perseverance. The midpoint of the seven virtues. Halfway there, but we're still only halfway. We've covered a lot. There's still a long way to go. And in some ways, it's rather ironic that this is the middle virtue. Because for many of us, life as a Christian can feel a bit like this at times. We've traveled a good distance. We've come so far, but you know something? There's still a decent journey ahead. And if we're going to keep going, if we're going to not only start well, but if we're going to finish well, then it's going to require, it's going to take this central virtue, perseverance. And so my advice to you this morning is please, don't quit despite the temptation to do it. Don't Quit. Add to your faith goodness. Add to goodness knowledge. Add to knowledge self-control. And add to self-control perseverance. And at the start of a new church year, I honestly believe this may be a timely message for some people. If you're thinking of packing it in, you've had enough. So let's tease this out a bit. The word that, that Peter uses here is this word. It's a Greek word, as I understand it. It means to stand your ground, maintain your position, stick to your guns. Don't allow setbacks to, to defeat you or to derail you. Stand 
your ground. It's often used in a military context, as you would expect, to describe a soldier who doesn't back down. And as Peter writes to Christians who are tempted, and these Christians were, we need to understand, these Christians were so tempted to bail out, to walk away, to pack it in. And so he says, listen, persevere, guys. Stand your ground. Hold your position. Don't quit. To say, for those who've been following the series in 1 Peter, you will know that the original readers of this letter were up against it. They were under the caution. One of Peter's main reasons for putting pen to paper was to encourage them to hang in there. It's why we call this series Hang Tough. Peter says, hang in there. Because the reality was, for those first Christians in that place at that time, they had a truckload of reasons to quit. Truckload of reasons to just pack it in and walk away. They felt like aliens, Peter said. They were aliens. They were strangers. These people faced ridicule and abuse for their faith, for following Jesus. They faced hardship and setbacks. And why? Simply because they followed Jesus. Simply because they were Christians. The wider society looked on these peculiar people. Again, another biblical word that describes these peculiar people. The wider society looked on them with suspicion. It wasn't easy to be a Christian then. It's not easy to be a Christian now. It wasn't easy to be a Christian then. And therefore, suffering was and became part and parcel of the journey. Peter mentioned suffering 17 times in his first letter. But here's the thing. The suffering he describes, or certainly most of it, it would stop, it would disappear almost immediately, certainly overnight, if his readers did one thing. It would all go, just quit. Just walk away, pack it in, and all that will stop. Quit your faith, quit talking about it, quit obeying God, quit worshiping, quit believing, quit praying, quit pursuing holiness. Just quit. And then the pain will go away. And then the hassle will stop. And then the challenges will be dramatically reduced. Just say, I never knew him. And everything will go well. You see, Peter had done that. Peter had done that on one occasion. Three times. But now he says, as he looks back in his life, he says to these Christians, please, persevere. Don't quit. Trust me on this one. In Mark Buchanan's book on this text, uh, which I'm using a lot in this series, I'm using it a lot this morning, he lists 12 reasons that these Christians would want to throw in the towel. They're all found in Peter's two letters. Let me just show you a selection of these. Just quit, because you know something? You do live like foreigners. You do live like strangers in the world. You are suffering all kinds of trials. You're enticed to sin all the time to those around you, and you're abused, and you're insulted when you don't join in. You're punished for following Jesus. Peter talks about the fiery trials that these people are going through. You're threatened by the devil himself, who does want to eat you alive. You're mocked by your neighbors who find your faith naive and think you're deluded. And do you know what else? They're disappointed with God. God seems to be slow in keeping his promises. And so the temptation to pack it in was real. It was understandable. Like, why would you keep going if this is wrecking your life? Why would you? Well, here is the paradox. 
because it's the one thing that's saving your life. It's the one thing that's saving your life. You see, one of the most obvious and maybe overlooked things about perseverance is this. It only makes sense if you're heading in the right direction. Like if you're not heading in the right direction, you would be mad to persist. But if you're on the right road, if you're on the right road, then you'd be a fool to quit. No matter how hard the journey is. If you have found the path that leads to life, that leads to real life, that leads to eternal life, then stay the course. Maintain your position. Stand your ground. The Bible often compares the Christian life to a race or a battle. We know that. And those are great metaphors because not only do they communicate the fact that there are real challenges involved in being a Christian, but because both races and battles have this in common. The point is to win. Point is, like, there is a goal before you. There is a reason to keep going. There is a reason to keep fighting. If you're running towards nothing, if you're fighting for no clear purpose, then by all means, just quit. Like, why, why would you or should you keep going? But if the track you're on, if the fight you're in leads somewhere, not just leads somewhere, but leads somewhere important, leads somewhere worthwhile, if it leads you home, if it leads you to your true home, then whatever you do, do not quit. Persevere. Make every effort to add this to your faith which is exactly what Peter says in these two letters, because he urges his readers to stay the course, to hang in there, to hang tough. Why? Because of what lies ahead. This is a key reason for Peter writing. He wants to say to them, please hang tough, because there is a reason for it. And here is the reason. Here is what lies ahead. The glory that is to be revealed, the glory that awaits, the glory that you get to share in, this inheritance that is kept in heaven for you that can never perish, spoil, or fade, the new heaven, the new earth, earth, the home of righteousness, the rich welcome that awaits you. Peter, you see, has the ultimate end, the big picture view in mind. And so he speaks into their suffering for their faith because he wants them to bear in mind the incredible future that lies ahead beyond their suffering. We desperately need that big picture view. Do you know in this, Peter's, Peter's like the writer of Hebrews who described Jesus' willingness to do what? To endure the cross, to persevere the cross. Why? Because of the joy that was set before him. Jesus knew what lay ahead. Jesus knew what this would lead to. And therefore, he was prepared to persevere, not quit. See, as Christians... We're taught not to enjoy pain and suffering in some sick way. We're taught to endure it for the sake of what lies ahead. The, the apostle James also refers to this when he writes this. Blessed is the one who does what? Who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, what happens? That person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Big picture view. You need to know you're on the right path. You need to know where you're heading. Otherwise, Pack it in. But if you know where you're going, if you know what lies ahead, don't quit. I was reading this uh, week about a, a pastor who uh, talks about the number of conversations he's had with people who just want to pack it in. Who just want to quit following Jesus. And apparently his approach is, is pretty much the same every time. Here's what he says. He says, where did you think 
the road you were on was leading? Where did you think the road you were on was leading? Because if it's no place that you want to get to, then by all means quit. Don't let me talk you out of it. But you see, if the road you're on is the only one that leads home, to your true home, to eternal life and glory, then whatever you do, persevere. Let me go back to, to John 6. That incident I referred to at the start, Jesus had been teaching about what was involved in following him and some of his disciples were actually offended by what Jesus said. They were put off by his strong teaching. And so as a result, many of his disciples said, that's enough, can't take it anymore, we're walking away, did a U-turn, went the opposite direction. And then as I say, Jesus turned to his original disciples and he said to them, well, do you want to leave me now too? And who knows who was first to speak up? Brilliant, wasn't it? Peter was first to speak up. Whenever Jesus turned around to his and said, are you going to leave me as well? Peter speaks up. And what does he say? Lord, you, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and we know that you're the Holy One of God. You see, Peter recognized we're on the right path here. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the path to true life, that only Jesus has the words of eternal life. So they weren't going to turn back. They weren't going to quit. They weren't going to pack it in. They were going to stay the course. And so now as Peter writes to Christians who are feeling the pressure, who are tempted to pack it in because it is hard going, it's hard to keep going, he says to them, listen, guys, make every effort to add perseverance to your faith because of what lies ahead, the glory that will be revealed, the road you are on is the right road home. Jesus, who else can we go to? You're the only one that has the words of eternal life. And so in his writing, and he's not alone amongst biblical writers, but in his writing, Peter doesn't offer a cure, a supernatural cure for suffering, but what he does say is here, let me give you a perspective on it. Here's what suffering does, it's hard, but here's what suffering does. It refines your faith, it perfects your hope, it weans you from sin, it deepens your intimacy with Jesus, it trains you in holiness. But you see, we've gotta be honest, because there's every possibility that suffering will have the opposite effect. For some people, suffering corrodes their faith, shatters your hope, estranges you from Jesus, provokes you to rebellion, plunges you into sin. So the question is, what determines how you respond to the stuff you go through? What makes the difference? Well, at, us, well, at one level, it's really simple. It boils down to this. Do you believe you're on the right road? Do you believe you're on the right road? That although there are challenges, although there is suffering, although it is hard at times, in fact, it's hard most of the times, do you believe that Jesus has the words of eternal life? Because if you do, then stay the course. Make every effort to add to your faith perseverance. And that's Peter's strong advice. But as we all know, Peter so nearly didn't do it himself. Because when the heat did get turned up on that occasion beside that fire, 
What did he do? He denies Jesus three times. When the storm blows up and the storm, or when the waves come a bit scary, what does Peter do? He takes his eyes off Jesus and he starts to sing. Not once but twice, Peter went back to working on his boats, even though Jesus had called him to a different line of work. You see, Peter sailed incredibly close to quitting, but he didn't. And so as he writes to Christians later on in his life, Christians who are facing similar pressures and temptations, he says to them, please, please, make every effort to add perseverance to your goodness and your knowledge and your self-control. So my message this morning is simple, folks. Don't, don't quit. Don't pack it in even though it's tough, even though you get discouraged, even though you get disillusioned, even though you find yourselves distraught at times. You're on the right track. You're on the right road home So stand your ground, maintain your position.